What I want to do today is look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and um, acknowledge that in Scripture, we have to look at our sin and make a decision, are we going to live for ourselves or are we going to live for God? And if we're going to live for God, then that means addressing a holy God who does everything right, knowing that we don't, and yet as we address that sin before him, then becomes the opportunity for us to walk in a wholeness and a sense of cleanness that is unavailable until we look it in the face. And so it's, even though it's miserable to address those things, it's essential for our own well-being to go after it in the Lord. Um, within the first week of school, you've had opportunity to do some really stupid things. And hopefully you made good choices, but I would assume some of you are here this morning even going, why am I even here? Um, I remember my first week of school, I went to a Christian college, you know, because there it's safe and you learn about God, right? <laughs> Within the first week, I'd been invited to a party. When I got there, I was offered an illegal substance. In that moment, I made a right decision, but that week I had also threatened a kid's life. So, I mean, it was a, it was a good week and a bad week. <laughs> I, I thought that he had possibly hurt one of my friends, and so when I caught him alone, he was the ringleader, and I just said, if he's hurt, I'm going to hurt you. And... Uh, that's not the best way to approach Christian life, particularly, you know, <laughs> as a Christian leader, right? So, I mean, there are, there are those moments where you're just going, this wasn't right. And, uh, but even in that, there's this knowledge that God walks us through those things, and he, he fixes those things in us. It says, with such a large crowd of witnesses all around us, we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that won't let go. One, one translation, the sin that entangles us. We must be determined to run the race that is ahead of us. So I want you to know that even now in my life, God is rebuilding things that have, that have taken place that maybe I interpreted improperly or I did improperly or things that were vile in his sight that I actually gloried in. And he, he, he brings those up and allows me the opportunity to, in a sense, have them fixed before I step into eternity. And so, in a sense, when I walk through those things now, it's not a thing of, will this ever be over? But it's, in some ways, a gratefulness that because of our relationship, he brings it up and says, there is a better way to see this. And it's going to affect the way that you see things in the present and the future, so let's, let's straighten this out. And at times, it means going back to college experiences. Sometimes it's even further back. But the beauty of this interactive relationship with him is, is that it allows us to address things that have entangled us 
or things that have distracted us, things that we have our perspectives tainted by and we really aren't seeing appropriately until we take care of those. And, and so he allows us this privilege of walking it through and, and fixing it, so to speak. He says, we must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes our faith complete. He endured the shame of, the, of being nailed to a cross because he knew that later on he would be glad. Now he's seated at the right hand of God's throne. Later on he would be glad. So it's saying in the present, there wasn't a joy attached to this, but he knew that long term it was worth the, the price. So when you and I are walking through life, there is a portion of this that we're saying in the moment, I don't necessarily see a joy attached to this moment. But I'm looking ahead and acknowledging that it's worthwhile because of what is in the future. So there is, within the Christian life, for all of us, a future looking that says it doesn't have to all pay off in this moment. Okay. What I want to do is, is jump back to, um, he says, this takes place, we shouldn't be discouraged, but rather, you know, let's, let's acknowledge it for what it is. Let's go back to how this was set up with, by the writer. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the great faith chapter, and you have this, faith makes us sure of what we hope for, gives us proof of what we cannot see. Faith made our ancestors pleasing to God. So he's saying, those that preceded us in the family that have already passed on, but were part of this relationship with God, he says, their lives became pleasing to God by the way that they lived and the way they expressed this faith in him. And then he goes on and he gives the story of Noah and Moses and Abraham and Sarah and and walks through their lives of Jacob and Joseph and, and Rahab and others. And, and he just addresses saying they all had a distant looking about them because in the moment it, it wasn't paying off, so to speak. And they all lived with this belief that God was going to make it worthwhile. And he says that all of them pleased God in this endeavor. And so what we're to glean from that is that what's available to us is as we exert faith and say, God will make this worthwhile. I just have to continue to walk in this path. God will make this pay off. And, and as we invest in that, he says, there is a certain pleasure in God that we trust him that way. That we embrace this life and say, he will make this worthwhile. So we walk that through. Later in that same chapter, he says, many of these people were tortured, but they refused to be released. Then he goes on, he says, others were made fun of, beaten with whips, chained in jail, stoned to death, sawn in two, killed with swords. 
So some did not see the payoff in this lifetime at all. In fact, the ending was brutal. Furthermore, he addresses it and says, some had nothing but sheepskins and goatskins to wear. That wasn't a fashion statement. It just said that's the only clothes they had, right? They were poor, mistreated, and tortured. They had to wander in deserts and on mountains, had to live in caves and holes in the ground. So he said, the fruit of a faithful life, of this life bent on pursuing God, for some of them did not turn out very well in this lifetime. And yet he's going to say, that's a cloud of witnesses that are there making declaration in the faithfulness of God and that our lives are surrounded by these are our forefathers and foremothers, so to speak. These are the ones that preceded us. And so we can look at that and we can address it and say that may come into our life as well. Isn't it, I mean... He lists Abel. Abel was only second-generation Christian, yet he's put to death because of the expression of his faith. I mean, what should make us think that our life will be entirely smooth or that when we turn to Christ, everything will be wonderful? Now, I will declare openly the measure of peace that's a part of my life and the joy that is a part of it even now is such that I am very grateful for the life I have in Christ. But I do not take it as a given that every day is going to be peaches and cream, so to speak. Or month, or year, or decade. That's, that's not necessarily promised to me. Let's go back. It says, okay, Jesus is our example, right? He was born under a cloud of scandal, right? Dad wonders at first if he's his kid. Or no, doesn't wonder. He knows it's not his kid. Sorry. He's born into poverty. He's born in a situation of oppression. I mean, God chose to have his son born in any place and time that he wanted, yet he puts him in with an oppressed people to a poor family. Even that family has to live in a different country for a time, then comes back. So in a sense, he's a new kid in town, or their family never, they don't have the connections in the community that you might wish for. He lives 30 years in obscurity, then has three and a half years of notoriety, but not even all of that is popular, right? No house that we know of, no transportation, no wife, no kids. So, I mean, things that we associate with happiness in our lives, he did without. 
You know, we get these targets. If God loves me, why don't I have this? But the Son of God is living through life without that. Who for the joy set before him, as some of the translations say? Who for the gladness that was going to be there? His own family didn't believe in him. Remember, they come to him and it's like, here's the crazy man, let's just get him off the scene. You know, go out and talk to your family. They come to collect him. That's not, a, that's not a great resounding declaration of, we're with you, man. <laughs> Go off to school, get the degree. It might be that even your own family doesn't understand you. He's despised by the religious leadership, the very ones that should have known him and embraced him. The ones that are close to him, closest to him, in the final moment of crisis, all flee. And then he's brutalized as a criminal in death. So that's our example. <laughs> so when, when we look at this and, and we're walking through some of the, the complications of life, we must acknowledge that it might not be as simple as we wish for. But even in this, there's this declaration and, and the translation that I memorized, it was, and several of them go, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning the shame. In other words, that joy was future, but he considered it valuable enough to say, this is worthwhile even in this lifetime because of what's in store. All of us know the principle of deferred gratification. All of us know the, the necessity of investing now for future payoff. What's declared openly in Scripture is that what you invest now has the potential of eternal payoff. You will not escape that as a part of our message. It's impossible. But there's this wondrous joy saying there have been people through time that have embraced this. And all of them went with a confidence knowing that God never fails. He is our rock. He's our anchor. He's the one that we trust. When you, when you come to terms and say, this life isn't just about my pleasure and me, but it's about God and pleasing him, with it comes this understanding that he is the anchor of the ages. There's an old song, the rock of ages, cleft for me. Um, that's one we wore out as a kid. Um, but even that idea is he's unshaken. He doesn't change. And so if I rely on him, at least there's an anchor in my life that will never alter. And when I comes to terms that he's good and gracious and generous, then there's a confidence that says, even this moment is not out of his care. 
Last week, I think it was last week, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, right? I've still been chewing on that, that God was generous and that that meal didn't mean much in the span of a lifetime, but he just chose to bless them. And what I've tried to do is, in my personal prayer for the next month, and I recommend, why not try it yourselves, I address him as generous God. Or if you, generous Jesus, generous Father, I don't, I don't care what term you use, but I, I've been using that generous in front of it because I want to keep that in my thinking. Because I realize there's a, a need for me to, to acknowledge that he is gracious and generous. And even though I don't understand every nuance of life and every moment, I still have, when I'm thinking clearly, the appropriateness of saying, generous God. And so, it doesn't really matter what you're wrestling with in this moment. You can... You can say, generous God. And it might be, forgive me because I've been entangled again. Or I have this sin that just clings to me and I just don't seem to shake it. Um, generous God, take, take this away from me. Help me to address it for what it is. Cause me to walk forward in a way that's pleasing unto you. And to acknowledge that he forgives me again. And he releases me from my sin. And he washes that away and just chooses to forget it. Generous God, forgive us our sin. Generous God, remove that which entangles us. Generous God, where I've failed, wash that thing clean. And there's the opportunity to know a freedom and a peace that is available no other way. So in this moment... We bring that to you. And we say, if there are things in our past that you want to bring up and rebuild in us in appropriateness, then bring that memory to mind even now. And for some who can't even get past last night and are just distraught over what's taken place, be their healer. Whatever the situation, Lord, we thank you that you provide forgiveness for our lives. We thank you for those that have walked in faith and confidence of your graciousness. Some lived their lives in desperate situations and even died in that desperation with full confidence that their eternity was well set in you. Place in us a similar confidence, we ask. And the ability to trust you in all things. You are good.
And we believe that wholeheartedly. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue. Uh, we've been working with students long enough that very little surprises us in the way of stories. Uh, you, you may be able to surprise us, but I doubt it. Uh, so in a service like this, when we're talking about topics like these, there may be things that you need to pray with someone to, to experience a full release. You know, there are times when some of you are coming from abusive backgrounds and you need healing for you to get on into health with the Lord. Uh, it would be valuable to get with someone that, that has walked others through this. And we have people here that have walked through similar things. And so, I, you know, if, if you need prayer, it's easiest if you come forward. Uh, some are going, well, I don't want to be identified that way. Well, just look around, start a conversation. We'll get to you, okay? But, um, and others are going, you know, I had such grand plans when I got to school and already I've derailed. Well, get back on and get going again. You know, that's, that's part of life. The, the recovering is, is an essential trait of learning how to walk the Christian life. You know, to get back up and start walking again. But again, I encourage you, don't necessarily try to do this alone. And there are, there are times when we have sin that entangles us that we don't break free of on our own. And, and James says, if you have sin, confess it. And I'm convinced that part of the, the value that God brings or builds into the body of Christ is that as we pray with each other, those things get set free, but they don't necessarily, he doesn't allow us always to do it on our own because of our own pride and whatever else is involved with that. But I encourage you, there's opportunity for a freedom that is unavailable except through that peace with Him. And to walk in a fullness and a health that is unattainable except that you make peace with the God of all creation. And I pray for God's blessing upon you. What remains is open-ended. Again, it's an opportunity for prayer. It's an opportunity for worship. Do not leave until you settle the issues, okay? May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy your forgiveness in all things. And the washing and creating of new life that they are intended for. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. I ask that you gift them with the supernatural. Be exalted and lifted up, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.